For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Josh Powell. I am the international speaker that Micah was mentioning. Um, I hail all the way from New Zealand, although to be fair, I've been in the States for coming up seven years, I believe. I uh, moved over here with my family to actually do the training center down at Faith Bible Church in Marietta. And then through the Lord's Providence and Art Nakamura, who's the human LinkedIn, um, just knows everybody on the planet basically, um, somehow in, find myself here helping to establish and, and teach and administrate the training center here. And it has been a joy to be doing that. Um, and I'm looking forward to kind of seeing the fruit of, of men like Eric and, and others who are going through that process just to see how, you know, how has the Lord gifted them and to kind of bounce off of what Zach was talking about, where should they be serving and how should they be serving? Because uh, each of us has been gifted in a unique way by the Lord and our responsibility, um, our, our means of being faithful is to use that gift uh, to serve the body um, and doing so brings glory to Christ. Um, so this morning uh, I'm going to kind of dive in. Um, we are going to move pretty quickly. There's a lot of ground to cover here, right? So, so keep your hats on if you've got a hat. If you don't, then grab onto your seat. Right out of high school, um, I decided that I was far better off getting paid to build houses uh, rather than paying someone else to teach me how to draw houses. Um, so I chose building over architecture. All through high school, that was kind of the direction that I was wrestling with those two things. In the end, I decided I want to be on the tools. And um, over seven years of being in construction, I, I learned a few things. I learned how to rewire a skill saw cord. Uh, that was after I cut through it. Uh, I also learned that, that thumbnails grow back. That was after I mistook it for a large bolt that I was trying to drive through a post. I also learned that I personally need food and water uh, ASAP when I go into shock. And uh, that was after I nailed myself in the hand. And literally, I mean nailed myself in the hand with a nail gun. Um, so construction, it takes time. It takes tools, timber, and tears. Not my tears, but the others' tears, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But as men, you know, we need to be built with the right materials, right? We are, in, in a sense, we're a project, and, and we all understand the concept of a solid foundation. We need to be built on a solid foundation if we are to stand for the Lord in the context of what we're talking about. Yet, even before the foundation, and maybe we don't often think about this, even before a foundation is laid, a site needs to be chosen and prepared. Now, where is that foundation going to be laid? The site we choose and the boundaries that we lay out, they will have consequences. In Matthew 7, uh, verse 26 and 27, we read this, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is something Jesus shared at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and He's illustrating the two responses of those who are listening to Him. Basically, there's those who listen and do, and there's those who listen but don't do. He tells the story of two men. Basically, each of them built a house. He doesn't say that their house was bad, but He basically points out the fact that each of them chose a different site. One of them set his boundaries on the rock, and his house stood firm in the midst of that storm. The other marked out his boundaries on the sand, a poor choice in terms of even a solid foundation on something like that would, would ruin the house no matter how well you built it. 
And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to examine five boundaries which should mark our lives as men so that we can be built up as men submitted to God, ultimately. Five boundaries which must mark our lives if we are to be built up as men of God. So here's boundary number one, and it's God. Really, the right God. In Genesis 1.1, we read this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 17.17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Revelation 1.17-18, When I saw him, this is John speaking of Jesus, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is the God, this is kind of an overview from Genesis to Revelation of of this God who created all things. No one tells him what he can and cannot do. He is in control of all things. He is sovereign even over death and Hades. We have His Word written, right? So that we might be made complete, equipped for every good work. He is in control. He has proclaimed that truth and He has displayed it from generation to generation. I'm sure you each have testimony of that in your own life. So in any and every circumstance, this boundary, it ought to bring us great comfort, this God that we serve. To quote Spurgeon again, and this is more of a paraphrase quote, God's sovereignty is the pillow on which we lay our head to rest. That doctrine of God's sovereignty ought to bring us great comfort, especially in a world that we live today where there is so much chaos and so much turmoil around us. And yet as Christians, we can rest easy knowing that none of it is outside of the control of our God. This God who does all that He pleases was pleased to create everything. And as our Creator, He determines the boundaries for His creation. So men, let me ask you this. Are you submitted to this God, the God of the Bible? Because that's where we have to start. That's our primary boundary. But then here's our second one, and it's our weakness. And my weaknesses and your weaknesses will limit what we can and cannot do, and really what we should and should not do. And by weaknesses, I don't mean specific sins. Um, Sometimes our weaknesses may be connected to our sin. But really what I'm talking about here is more matters of conscience. Uh, These are areas where each of us is going to differ. In Romans chapter 14, Paul uh, spent some time there discussing the one who is weak in faith. In that context, it's to eat meat offered to idols that would violate these people's conscience based on their current knowledge and their belief. That in doing so, they're they're violating basically a vow before the Lord or they they believe it's unholy in some way. But Paul doesn't tell the weaker brother to get over himself and to kind of toughen up and move on. Instead, he tells the stronger brother to be careful in how he judges this brother, the weaker brother. Because one day, the stronger brother too will also face judgment before the Lord. And I heard a, a speaker say once that kind of the, the ironic thing about this passage is often we read it, we look at that passage in Romans 14 and we go, okay, how can I consider my weaker brother? You know, what can I do to, to serve my weaker brother and to consider his needs over my own? But men, 
we are the weaker brother. You are the weaker brother. Right? We all have areas of our conscience where we are the one who needs others to come along and be patient with us and, and not condemn us because of somewhere that we're still growing. Right? We still haven't fully understood all that Scripture speaks to that particular area. So our conscience doesn't allow us to move in that direction yet. Let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, during my teen years, I invested a lot of time in two things. And they were connected. The first was impurity. Right? And let me be clear, that's not a conscience issue. Right? That was a sin issue. But the second was video games. And video games are not a sin issue necessarily. But I personally could spend hours gaming alone in my room. Just turn on my computer and go into that, that world. But both of these habits came through that same device, through my computer. One was a matter of sin that needed to be drastically cut off. And the other was an activity that really, biblically, I was free to enjoy in a God-honoring way. But for me, enjoying that freedom often led down this pathway towards sin because I thought that I was strong enough to handle my flesh, but really I was not. In 1 Corinthians 10:12, we read this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, we can sometimes be prideful in thinking, you know what, I've, I, I've, got, I've got this under control. You know, I'm fine. I'll be okay. Uh, but even today, I recognize in my own life that video games can be an area of weakness for me. And so personally, I choose to stay away from them, knowing that one day I'll stand before the Lord and I will give an account of myself to God. And so I recognize that that weakness may put boundaries on my life that it doesn't put boundaries on other men's lives. They're free to enjoy that activity because it, it isn't a weakness. Scripture doesn't forbid or, or command an action which directly relates to video games as an entertainment source. Right? And so I personally have to make a judgment call by faith based on the biblical principles that I know. And that may change over time as I learn more of Scripture, as other men come around me and help me understand, hey, you know what, this is an area that actually you are free to enjoy. Or maybe this is an area that, hey, I'm seeing you go to a point where I'm concerned this is leading into sin. And maybe you need to pull back. Maybe that boundary line needs to move in a little bit for your holiness and for your walk with the Lord or for your testimony even before unbelievers. Romans 14.23 finishes with this. It says, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so if we're doing something that we're, we're doing it with an unclear conscience, then I would urge you to, to reconsider that. Talk to a more mature man and help him to work through that. You know, is that an area that maybe you need to set a, a clearer boundary line in order to best represent Christ in your own life? So men, are you living within the boundaries that are caused by your weaknesses? Our third boundary line, and we find this one at home, right? It's our, our role at home, our responsibilities at home. And this isn't just for the fathers and the married men. This is for all of you here. As men, we are called to lead our home. But our leadership also has boundaries. On one side, there's this warning not to lead with a heavy hand. In Genesis 3.16, it talks about the um, Eve, basically, that she'll... I'm totally blanking on it. Let me turn there because I have my Bible right in front of me. Um, Genesis 3.16, it talks about... Oh, Eve's desire shall be contrary to her husband, but he shall rule over her, right? And, and as men, we can be heavy-handed in our ruling over others, uh, domineering even. 
In Colossians 3.19, we are warned not to be harsh in the way that we treat our wives. But then on the other side, we're also warned not to hand our leadership over to others. For an elder, one of the main tests of, of their leadership or their, um, the words escaped me, their fitness, if you will, for the role of an elder, one of the main tests is, are they leading their home well? Because if they're not, then they're not fit to lead the church. But then also later on in 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, it talks about you know, someone who doesn't care for their, their family is worse than an unbeliever. And so there is this responsibility, these boundaries within our home that we are to live within. Young men, let me talk to you for a minute. You know who you are, and everyone else in the room knows who you are. <laughs> if you're living under your parents' roof, you have a, a pretty simple role at the moment, right? You're called to obey. Now you might push back and be like, yeah, but I'm old enough to make my own decisions, or my parents are really unfair, and they just kind of, they, they kill all the fun that I want to have. But if you claim Christ, here's His commands to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It goes on to say, and it will go well with you, um, based on an Old Testament promise to the Israelites. Colossians 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything. And uh, as a, a pastor of mine used to say, the Greek for everything, you know what it means? It means everything. <laughs> and the reason is because this pleases the Lord. So young men, your boundary is, is ultimately right now in this stage of your life, it's the will of your parents as they submit to Christ. That is the boundary. It's a small boundary that you live within. As you do that faithfully, the Lord honors that, and that boundary grows as you grow. Single men, let me ask you this. Are you apprehensive or are you attentive to the things of the Lord? In 1 Corinthians 7, 32 and 35, we read this. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious or concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. Verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Single men, you have a unique season in your life right now. You, you can devote yourself to the Lord with zeal in a way that a married man or a father cannot because you have less distraction. And so to bounce off of what Zach was talking, I would urge you and encourage you to serve in the church, to come alongside older men and ask them to disciple you, to pour their lives into you, not just one, but a few, to study the Word, to seek to grow in maturity so that if the Lord has marriage for you down the track, you're ready when it comes, rather than thinking, you know what, I'll get ready when that happens. And single men, if you are pursuing a woman, let me tell you this, make sure that she is in the Lord. Right? Everything else, and I literally mean everything else about her, is secondary. The primary thing about pursuing a woman, is she in the Lord? Does she love the Lord? Start there. I've seen it in my own life. My wife is the greatest asset that I have. I would not be half the man I am today were it not for my wife. Her love for me, her care for me, her constantly pushing me toward Christ. She loves Christ far more than me. Our kids know that. We talk about it all the time. And I want that. I want her to continue to love Christ more than she ever loves me. Because the more she loves Christ, then the more our love for each other grows. And grows toward Christ together. But fathers, 
and this is uh, challenging to my own heart as even as I, I read this, I'm getting splashback from uh, the word right here. Are we provoking our children with inconsistent or ever-changing boundaries at home? They need the security of a dad who loves them with clear boundaries and biblical consequences when those boundaries are breached. Discipline and love with consistency and humility, knowing that, as Hebrews 12.11 says, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Yet, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That is ultimately our goal. We are called to be the primary discipler, discipliner, and encourager of our children in Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.21 and that verse in Hebrews 12. And notice that I said primary, not perfect. We will all fail, every single one of us. I'm sure you already have. If you sin against your kids, repent and seek their forgiveness. That has to be one of the most humbling things as a father, to come before your kids and say, I sinned against you and how I disciplined you or how I responded to you here. And if you have young kids and you've done this before, it is the most heartwarming thing when they are ready to forgive. They are ready to come and say, Dad, I forgive you. And you hug and you move on. And also involve your wife. You know, delegate to her strengths. Don't be afraid to do that. But you be the one who initiates that. And don't wait for her to do it. Or don't expect her to do it. Encourage her in that. And then, let me say this. If you claim Christ, yeah, everyone here already knows that you're a miserable failure. Yeah, otherwise, you wouldn't claim Christ, right? We already know that you're useless. Apart from the saving work of Christ. Yeah, that's something, it's out in the open. The moment you say, I need Christ, everyone knows, man, that guy stinks. He's useless. He, he can't do anything. That's true. John 15. We can do nothing apart from Christ. We need Him. We need to own that. We need to recognize that and, and start from that place of humility, recognizing that, hey, we're all in this together. We're in the same place. And, and we cannot save our kids, no matter how hard we try, but we can model humble, dependent faith by how we disciple them, how we discipline them, and the whole time praying that the Lord would do that work of salvation in their heart. And we rejoice when He does, and we continue to pray and trust even if He hasn't yet. Married men, as husbands, does your wife desire to submit to you? See, every true Christian has a genuine desire to submit to Christ, not because He demands it of us, but rather because we recognize that He is worthy of our submission, right? Men, we are called to love our wives in the same way that Christ loved the church, by laying down our life for her. Colossians 3.21 commands us not to be harsh with our wife. Ephesians 5.33 demands that we love her in the same way that we love ourselves, uh, love ourselves, something that we're very good at doing. 1 Peter 3 verse 7 challenges us to grow in understanding her because she's precious to God. We might be tempted to think, yeah, but God also commands her to submit to me, right? And you're right, that is true. He does. But remember that you and I are the leader. You know, we're commanded to illustrate Christ. She is commanded to illustrate the church. That's the role. So, we have to ask ourselves, if, if, my willing, if my wife is unwilling to submit to me in this particular area, or maybe in a lot of areas, I should start by asking, how much of Christ am I displaying to my wife? Does she see Christ in me in such a way that she wants to submit to me, that she willingly does so entrusting herself to me because she recognizes that, hey, this man is worth submitting to, just as you and I would say, Christ is worth submitting to. Right? That's the parallel. That's the picture that we are supposed to be displaying to one another and to the world around us. 
And so laying down our life to our wives, it does not mean to be a doormat for her to walk all, walk all over and do as she wants. That's, that's not what Scripture is talking about. Even if you think she likes being in charge. Ultimately, we are to set aside our wants, our desires, our preferences, and to pursue her with zeal, seeking her best in every way and in every area of her life, because that is what Christ has done for us, for the church, for His bride. And so men, all of us, are we living within our boundaries at home? Boundary number four is found in the church. Our churches can be very messy, right? We have one Lord, but we have a lot of opinions, preferences, and feelings, don't we? A lot of them. There's not just a trinity of those, it's a lot more than that. But as men, we are also called to lead in the church. And this doesn't mean that all of us will be elders or even lead a ministry at some point. But we can lead others even by how we submit. Now listen to this in Hebrews 13 verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Are you the man who makes your leaders groan? I hope not. And if you are, don't be that guy. Just stop it. Recognize the boundaries of church authority. In Acts 17, the Bereans, uh, they were commended because they cared deeply about the Scriptures in such a way that even when the apostles came to town and started teaching them, they're flipping through their Bibles saying, hang on, Paul, let me just check that. Let me make sure that what you're saying, inspired literally from the Lord speaking through you, we're going to check that against what God has already said. That's diligence right there. But they also were willing to submit to their leaders. And so we too must submit to our leaders and elders in every area possible, so long as it doesn't go against what God has clearly revealed in His Word. That may sound radical to you, but I don't see any other way to read this passage. If I can't submit to them in something, the, my leaders or my elders, whether it's a small group leader or a ministry leader or one of the elders, then I ought to go to them and talk to them in private as a brother in Christ and share how I'm struggling to submit to them in this thing. If I believe that they're in sin in some way, in a decision they made or a direction that they're going, again, I should go to them privately and talk to them and confront them about that biblically. But then ultimately, if I disagree with their opinion or their decision on a preferential issue that Scripture doesn't speak to, I can humbly share my thoughts, and, and I think the, the elders, a, a humble elder, a humble leader would encourage that and welcomes and invites that feedback. But ultimately, as a man who is under authority, and all of us are men under authority, we have to recognize when we should say, you know what, I'm going to affirm your leadership, I'm going to prayerfully submit to that, and even if I disagree with your decision, that's okay. The Lord is in control. He is going, if, if you're going down a path that is sinful, the Lord's going to deal with you in time, and I'm going to faithfully submit and, and trust you to the Lord. Now, I'm not here ultimately to defend the elders, uh, but I've been here nine months-ish, and the elders here are a, an incredible group of men who humbly seek to lead this body of Christ and who dearly love all of the saints that are here. But we must be reminded as well that what they're doing is an incredibly weighty task that I think many of us may never, never fully understand or realize. You know, they carry a burden for each of you as they keep watch over your souls, knowing that one day they will give an account before the Lord. That is a, a weighty, weighty task. Most of us, you know, we have to live within this boundary uh, under the elders' leadership. 
And may it be said of us from the elders that they have no greater joy than, that, than to hear that their children, you and I, are walking in the truth. And that's what John said in, in 3 John verse 4. And part of that joy-inducing walk is actually using your spiritual gifts to serve the church. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God chose to gift you for the good of others. You may not know how you're gifted right now, and that's okay, but seek to grow in that. If you're sitting on the sidelines or if you're just a pew warmer on Sunday, then you're depriving the church of a unique contribution that only you can offer. Do you realize that? You are a unique puzzle piece in the picture of Christ that this church is, is portraying to the world and to one another. And when you're not doing your part and seeking to utilize your gift in ministry within the church, whether that's faithful prayer in the background, helping set up or tear down, whatever it may be, there is a, a plethora of gifting. We ought to just be seeking that out, asking older men who are around us, trying things. It's often, I've heard it said that you know, if you think you're a leader and you're going one way and you turn around and no one's following you, you're probably not a leader. Huh? It's, it's kind of a, a, a good test. But the picture of Christ that this church displays is incomplete when we're sitting on the sidelines. We need to be involved and engaged. We need you, each of you. And maybe, I've struggled with this throughout my life, maybe you look at the gift of another and you're like, man, I wish I was gifted like that. That guy's so gifted in this area or this area, I wish I could do that. Let me encourage you with this, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. Right? God didn't make a mistake. Be content with the boundary that He has placed around your spiritual giftedness. Fan the flame of your own gift and rejoice as God uses you in the growth of others. Going through TC, one of the things that I learned about myself was uh, I got affirmed a lot in gifts of administration. And I'm like, really? I don't want to be the admin guy. <laughs> oh, Alright. I've had to learn to embrace that and to be okay with that and, and seeing how the Lord has used that even in coming here to this church. And so I'm thankful to the Lord that He's gifted me in that way and seeking to use that for His glory ultimately. Now last boundary, number five, is in society. You know, we gather, and this is going to be short, we gather as the church to magnify Christ in a dark and dying world, and then we scatter into that world to bring a glimpse of Christ to the masses through how we live among them. That's our job. Christ commanded us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Evangelism is one of the primary tasks of a believer outside of the walls of the church. We kind of do it inside the walls too because there's wheat and tear in the church, right? But primarily evangelism, we often see it as something outward facing, facing the world, inviting them in. And we do this in the context or the sphere that God has put us. And many of you are going to be in secular work for your entire life. You, the Lord isn't calling you to, to serve in the church full time. And that's great because we need believers out in the world displaying Christ, sharing Christ, even as Eric said, with going through TC, being able to sit with colleagues and share what he's learning through TC, encouraging them, and, and hopefully, you know, for those who aren't saved, inviting them to church, sharing the gospel with them and seeing them come to see and know this God that we serve. But we can talk for hours often about sports, um, about the world events, about whatever latest show that we're watching on Netflix or whatever other thing you subscribe to. But if we're saved, 
you know, we know the gospel. And sometimes we overcomplicate things. We know the gospel if we're saved because it's the very good news that saved us. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4 is a very short summation of the gospel, the core elements of the gospel. It says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here they are, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We're not called to give a 30-minute gospel presentation to everyone we meet. You know, if we did that, no one would want to talk to us, ever. But we are called to faithfully plant and water, to plant seeds and water them, trusting that God will give the growth in His timing. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, I planted, that's Paul writing, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now we don't know when God will allow that growth to happen, but we faithfully plant seeds and we faithfully water those seeds and the seeds that others have planted, and we just entrust that fruit and that growth to God alone. Invite your gardener to church. Give a tract to the pest control guy. Ask your neighbor if they attend a church and, and start a conversation from there. Start small, but be faithful and see how the Lord uses you as you walk within His boundaries. And if you fly for, for work, it, purposefully pick an aisle seat so that you've got someone hemmed in. They can't escape. <laughs> for the length of that flight, you can, sh you can talk to them. You know, they'll probably put their headphones on at some point, and you just you respect that, but you, you just never know who you're going to sit next to on the train, you know, at work, at a, at a concert, whatever it might be. Take those opportunities when they come your way. Well, let me wrap up here. A, these are five boundaries which mark our lives as we submit to God. The boundaries relating to the God that we serve, our weaknesses that we must recognize, the home that we live in and kind of the, the God-given boundaries within that home, the church that we attend and the God-given boundaries depending on our different levels of leadership and, and roles in that church, and then society. You know, there's much more that we could say about each of these. This is really more just an overview, kind of a, a snapshot of some of these things. But if we as men want to be built up in Christ, if we as men want to claim Christ or do claim Christ, then as men we must be submitted to God in all of these areas. We must live within these boundaries. And I love how one pastor I heard recently uh, summarized it this way, and, and I'm going to finish with this quote. He said this, If I am truly converted, if I am a genuine Christian, I'll want His answers over my answers. His ways over my ways, His wisdom over my wisdom, His best over my best, His priorities over my wants, His mission over my life, His church over my friends, His joy over my happiness, His will over my choices. I will be coming under His authority with all of my life, all of my purchases, all of my relationships, all my family, all my free time, all my money, over everything. He is God, and I submit to Him. Men, that is a summation of the boundary within which you and I must live if we desire to be men of God and to be built up in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we want to come before you and we recognize that we are unable to do this task that you have called us to as men. Apart from the work of Christ in our hearts, apart from the power of the Spirit working through us and moving us, as it were, to uh, faithfully live out this call, uh, Lord, we, we know we will fail. And yet, Lord, we also know that you have called us to this, that you are the God who saves, that you are the God who sees through the work of salvation, um, Lord, that you will see that to its completion. 
And we look forward to seeing how you will do that in the lives of each of these men here. I pray, Lord, that we would go from here encouraged. And even as we um, enjoy time um, playing together now, Lord, that there would be spiritual things on our mind, that we would seek to build relationships that would go deeper than mere talk, but that would go deeper into the eternal soul that you have given each of us. And that ultimately our greatest hope would be in Christ and that we would be faithful with whatever you have called us to, Lord, whether it is a great or small task. Lord, faithfulness is what you would have us do. So help us to do that in submission to you. We thank you that you have loved us ultimately through Christ dying in our place on the cross. And I pray that you would uh, just give us fresh eyes to marvel in that reality and to entrust ourselves anew to you. In your name we pray. Amen.